Following the racist murder of George Floyd at the hands of a white police officer, we've seen protests emerge all over the nation, in the U.S., and indeed all over the world. Uh, The problem is that uh, this murder of George Floyd was the latest in a line of killings of African Americans at the hands of police. Uh, This type of criminal activity is nothing new. But what can be done about it? And is this right now, the moment that we're in, uh, the period where we can actually see some structural changes in the way the police behave? So to give us a little bit more analysis on this, we're very pleased to be joined by Professor Constant Hassett Walker of Keene University, criminal justice professor on the line. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Professor, thank you uh, very much uh, for joining us. Uh, If you have been following this uh, situation in the U.S., it can be uh, something that is exhausting in terms of the emotional ordeal that people who sympathize uh, with the plight of these victims, uh, going back to Michael Brown, Ferguson, Missouri, uh, Eric Garner, uh, Breonna Taylor recently, and and of course this um, murder of George Floyd, Can you um, help us understand here in Korea uh, why it seems like nothing changes despite the outrage, the concerns, the the sympathies, uh, the the belief that things do have to change? Well, I think um, actually what goes on, the protests in the U.S. have been going on back to the 1960s, actually, with the most infamous, um, the most sort of well-known is the Watts riots of 1965 in Los Angeles, but the summer of 1967 had riots all over the country, so it goes back. Um, and you certainly named uh, some of the more well-known uh, murders, but there have been uh, many, many, many others that are lesser known. But why, in terms of why things don't change, and let me just say that I hope that things will change now because the the video is so horrible. Yeah. And it's it, it's other video has been like the murder of uh, when Eric Garner died, also through uh, asphyxiation, not being able to breathe. There was a little bit more ambiguity that some people would say, oh, well, it wasn't really a chokehold. This is unmistakable. There's nothing in training where you put a knee on someone's neck. That's not supposed to happen. But as for why there hasn't been enough change, um, I think it's a few things. Policing by nature, certainly in America, is conservative, where it's very, it's militaristic, it's top-down chain of command, and the police generally don't like to take suggestions from outsiders. So if there's change that's going to happen, it has to come from within the police departments. Also, uh, policing in America is decentralized, meaning there's no sort of central headquarters in Washington that can set policy for all the, de- all the departments. So p- different police departments in all the different cities and towns across the U.S., are their own unique entity, and they reflect the culture of the history of that town and that state and what region of the country is it is. So I think that uh, can lend itself to not... I mean, th- things have changed since the days of the slave patrols. They just haven't changed. The needle hasn't moved as much as it could. 
And you rightly pointed out that uh, although a, a lot of people look back at Ferguson, Missouri and, and, and Michael Brown uh, in this age of social media and everyone having uh, a smartphone where you can, you can, you can uh, videotape something, even with the body cams on, on police, uh, that it has uh, really kind of affected this current generation. But the roots of this racism uh, in American policing dates back, and you mentioned the Watts riots in the 60s, but even centuries ago, you've written about this and, and even, uh, let's say, uh, t- through the periods of uh, post-reconstruction and uh, through the, the periods of uh, integration uh, in, in the 60s, that uh, it, this has been a big struggle and those elements in the police have not been fully purged. Can, can you elaborate on that? I think they haven't been, um, I mean, people in America know, but they know that there was slavery. They don't necessarily know what Jim Crow laws are. They should, but they don't connect slavery to policing. And what I wrote about, actually, is I'm certainly not the first person to write about, and it's not really a secret. It's just not part of the mainstream narrative about how policing formed in America. But it just went on for a really long time. The slavery went on for 250 years, and during that time, slave patrols went on for about 150 years, and then Jim Crow policing, which was um, keeping segregation in place and keeping whites and blacks separate, went on for 80 years and stopped in 1964. So that's almost in my lifetime. So that's very recent. Um, So it's just going to take... Uh, it just takes generations to change. So it's, it has gone on. It went on for much longer than it hasn't been going on. And also, when it stopped, it stopped with the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and then there was the Voting Rights Act of 1965. You can't just flip a switch and suddenly people aren't racist anymore. Right. And unfortunately, that that seems to be the reality. Talking about then police reform as it stands right now. And again, uh, just people who observe this just see a continuous pattern. We'll we'll see a a tragic murder, a racially motivated murder uh, at the hands of the police. There might be a suspension with pay. There might be an investigation that looks into it. Uh, Ultimately, it does feel like over 90% of these cases, the the police officers involved uh, do not face any uh, punitive action. Uh, People have been talking about training involved with this, more community involvement, um, uh, ideas of, uh, let's say, uh, banning these kind of uh, knee-on-the-neck type of uh, maneuvers. Uh, what, what are your thoughts in terms of what can tangibly done with police reform as it stands right now? Well, my understanding that knee on the neck is not a sanctioned technique, from what I've heard, that they're not, they're not supposed to do that. But certainly the things you mentioned, also um, the officers involved in, um, in Mr. Floyd's death have been charged, and that's unusual. Yes. Now, for them to be arrested and charged, and I, I think I just saw on the news that the charge for um, Derek Chauvin has been upgraded to second-degree murder, right. up from third. And so that's that's different. That's There have to be consequences for the, the bad apples, for bad behavior. You can't, just because you're a police officer, you can't murder somebody because you could. Um, whether he gets, whether the the charges, whether he gets sentenced and convicted, we'll see, uh, because juries are sometimes reluctant to second-guess police officers. Um, but, you know, things like having police officers live in the communities where they police, um, I'm sure that p- police departments in many cities are going to look at how they how they train. Also getting police unions, wh- who typically are really focused on keeping police officers' jobs and protecting employment. If they took this on as an issue that was integral to employment, that would also be good. They've been unions tend to can be kind of a stumbling block for anybody who wants to make change. So if they got on board with it, and because the video of this was so unmistakable and so awful, 
a good thing that could come out of it would be if there actually was change this time, if they moved the needle. You mentioned the unions. Typically, uh, you think of unions and you think of uh, people with progressive-leaning policies, right, uh, where, where they, they stand for uh, not just uh, economic justice for their workers, but also social justice. Uh, as you point out, with the inherent conservatism of the police force, it does feel like there's this inertia there, that, uh, that resistance to change, despite what happens even with political leadership. We have Mayor Lightfoot in, in Chicago or, or the, uh, the very uh, progressive mayor of Minneapolis. And even then, uh, when they com- campaign on a platform of police reform once in office, they're not able to affect these changes. Uh, people talk about, I, I believe there's stories about how uh, a police force in terms of diversity needs to be over 35% black uh, for there to really be any uh, changes in these tactics, oh. especially against African Americans. So, uh, I, I mean, you can forgive me for not being super optimistic about this, but despite these uh, charges leveled against the uh, current police officers in, in Minneapolis, it does seem like a lot more needs to be done to, to ultimately see some permanent change. Yeah, no, I know. I completely agree. And I don't know a lot about police unions. I only know about the sort of the unions that I've been in mm-hmm. as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I know that they um, their focus is on, is on higher wages and protection of employees. Uh, one of the things that management would complain about is that they protect all people equally. And not, you know, not all, not all employees are the same. Um, so if the, the, the bad apples ought to face consequences for bad behavior. Um, so, yeah, it would be good if it would be. I just feel it would be good if the unions took it on. Hopefully that uh, will be the case. Uh, Professor Constance Hassett Walker, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your insights. Thank you for having me. And now let's uh, look at this from a social justice perspective as well, this uh, racial murder of George Floyd at the hands of a white police officer, the latest in a long line of these uh, tragic instances. Very pleased and honored to be joined by the uh, Program Coordinator of Justice Studies at Winston-Salem State University, Dr. Jack Monell, on the line. Hello? Hello, hello. Good evening. How are you? I'm doing great, Dr. Monell. Thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, First, uh, with George Floyd and his murder, and this uh, national outcry, uh, which has now become an international outcry in places like Europe, in places like Asia, where we're at right now, uh, do you do you think there is something different post twenty fourteen Ferguson, Missouri, that uh, there is now a greater cry and need for change? Well, uh, I, I would agree. I, I think what you're seeing today with uh the with George uh Floyd's murder and quite recently um uh, Breonna Taylor yes um what you're find, what you're finding is people uh particularly not only in the United States but as a, as you all stated uh, across the globe people are angry at at these continued injustices the um i the situation with uh George Floyd and the reason why it has uh, struck a nerve uh, does appear to be the explicit nature of this video, uh, the, the blatant disregard for, for human life that this uh, 
officer Derek Chauvin uh, seemed to show this uh, this idea that uh, he did not treat or view George Floyd as a fellow human being, it appeared, and and the three officers who were complicit by not even uh, intervening even once, despite the bystanders uh, pleading uh, for uh, George Floyd's life. It, very different from the Breonna Taylor situation where uh, th- there just simply wasn't any video uh, available of, of this um, horrific scene of a uh, a group of police officers just going into somebody's home uh, mistakenly and, and shooting someone uh, while lying in, in, in bed. The, I, I think the universal idea that this is wrong and shouldn't happen again still leaves a lot of people around the world very confused as to why uh, this can repeatedly happen in the U.S. Uh, what are some of the things you think that need to happen to to make sure or to at least try to prevent uh, things like this from happening again in America? Well, quite frankly, what, what you need, what, what I oftentimes try to convey, uh, particularly to people who ask uh, this question, is that initially in its inception, the criminal justice system was never intended uh, to benefit or, or protect the African-American community. If anything, it was it was created to protect, quite frankly, the the the, the leadership caste system that was in existence, and more so to police the African American uh, community. And, and and so, with that context, you need a total revamping of of the criminal justice system, and from the front end, in recruitment and 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 and, and creating more collaborative relationships with the community, and on the back end, accountability in which you have to punish these officers when you continue, when you see these unjust shootings occur. If they're not held accountable, the, the public lose, loses faith in, in the process and in the justice system. We have uh, the situation in uh, Minnesota. The latest that we've uh, been able to gather from news reports is that uh, the uh, officers in question, particularly uh, Derek Chauvin, his, the charges leveled against him have been raised from a murder three to a murder two, second degree uh, murder charges. The other three officers involved will uh, be um, also charged, which wasn't the case uh, earlier. Uh, and uh, if if we see that uh, situation um, uh, Develop, and we see that Attorney General of Minnesota Keith Ellison is now going to be uh, handling this case. Uh, do you sense? Do you feel even a slight sense of optimism? Perhaps justice can be done in this one particular um, area. Um, well, there, there's definitely uh, initially you do you do uh, as a citizen you see some some instance of, of potential justice uh, playing out, at least on the early end, uh, with, with the charges being uh, raised um, and, 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 and having uh, the Attorney General of Minnesota taking over, uh, taking that out of the hands of the local jurisdiction, uh, where uh, unfortunately at times the police and the state's attorney's office uh, are, I guess, equally um, collegial, and, and, and oftentimes things don't get prosecuted the way they should. So there is a sense of optimism, yes, absolutely. Um, and hopefully, in this instance, justice will prevail. Dr. Monell, uh, the connection between us uh, is a little bit uh, shaky. So if there are any things in, in your area, like a radio or uh, other devices that are on, um, if, if you could please um, perhaps uh, lower the volume on those things. Uh, if not, we'll try to uh, make do as w- what we can with the connection that we have. Uh, this outpouring of grief, of anger, of um, of 
desire to get things changed, to, to bring uh, the police to justice, uh, this nationwide uh, protest movement that we've seen, the uh, graphic illustrations, uh, the murals that have been um, painted in commemoration of George Floyd, people shouting justice for uh, George Floyd, these Instagram social media campaigns, Blackout Tuesday. Do you feel a mobilization in American society that wasn't necessarily there in Ferguson, Missouri? We're just talking about the recent events with um, with Eric Garner, with Breonna Taylor, which was more recent that uh, perhaps the the sentiment, even among people who are not people of color, that sentiment has shifted slightly? I, I would definitely agree. I, I think what we're witnessing today is... is uh, is a community, a, a, you know, a, a society of, of folks who are who are incredibly tired and frustrated by this continuous practice of unarmed African American males or unarmed African Americans, particularly by at the behest of police officers. Secondly, you know, we are in a global pandemic, and I think what you know, I, I just think. Many of us emotionally tired, you know, here we are, you know, trying to ensure that we don't get physically sick from this pandemic, from this COVID-19. And then here we go. We're still seeing continued violence perpetrated, not by um, citizens, but by police officers. The uh, response to this has also been disconcerting. Uh, you, you mentioned the violence by the police officers. That's continued throughout the uh, protests. I know that there has been a lot of media coverage on, on, the, on the looting uh, that has occurred, uh, the, the, the damage to, to various local businesses uh, where these protests are taking place. But there has also been graphic images of uh, police shooting rubber bullets into crowds, uh, firing tear gas canisters at peaceful protesters, uh, arresting um, um, uh, black reporters live on air as as they're trying to bring that information to people. So it, it's almost like a real-time sort of uh, kind of confirmation of, of the police violence that's taking place and this extreme militarization that we're seeing here. I mean, it, it, this is not a dictatorship. Uh, that's, that's what we believe about America, right? The home of the free, the land of the, the brave. Uh, it, if you look at it from uh, other countries who look to America as an example or a, as, a, as an inspiration, it, it's just very, very disconcerting. And it seems like, as you said, the pandemic and what happened to George Floyd has laid bare some of the, the ills of American society. Absolutely. And I mean, quite recently, I mean, less than an hour ago, um, what you found was, you know, former Defense Secretary uh, 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 Mattis, you know, speaking out, you know, hmm. quite openly about what he's witnessing as, 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 a, as, a, as a general, as a, you know, as a retired you know, general, as one who, 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 who served in the military, obviously, and what he's seeing, he, I mean, he stated that we should not be militarizing our, our communities. That's not what it's for. So, you know, this, these graphic illustrations of what you're seeing throughout various medias, um, what you're finding is that it, it's, you don't need the community. To, yeah. You're seeing this, in, as you said, in real time. We, as you point out, with the pandemic have seen how the uh, crises that hit countries hit people in different ways. The privileged class 
whites in general, um, people of means who are able to uh, self-isolate, work from home, they have largely been uh, less affected by this pandemic. But the health outcomes, we see that people of color, especially um, Uh, the black population, even though, let's say, for example, a population, a city could be 10% black, uh, the deaths from coronaviruses, um, let's say 30, 40% black. Uh, So it's not just an issue of criminal justice and and police brutality, but uh, this overarching idea of institutional racism that has uh, plagued American society for so long, uh, are these things that can, that can also be addressed uh, through uh, what we're seeing with the George Floyd movement? That, that would obviously be my hope, that the, 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 the recent incidences would, would provide some, some overview as to the other injustices that we're seeing in many of our communities throughout the United States. You know, criminal justice is just one, or criminal injustice is just one component. We have economic injustice. We have food deserts. We have inadequate health care availability to to people who who don't have health insurance or who can't afford the better health insurance or whatever the case may be. So these injustices, yes, it is my hope that our leadership, because all of this comes from leadership, you know, local, state, and federal, they have to, I mean, quite frankly, the community wants change. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately, historically, you know, what you find is that those persons who don't re- represent the dominant class, the wealthy class, they oftentimes get and they end up with the short end of the stick. And right. in, in this instance, you know, you're looking at primarily African-American communities. Dr. Monell, we're going to have to leave it there. But thank you very much for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you for the time. Have a good evening. Stay safe.